Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Bushwick, Brooklyn at Roberta's Pizzeria almost every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 1245. Not joined in the studio uh, today with Nastasia Hammer Lopez. No fault of her own. Do you have any weepy sad track on your uh, thing, Jay? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> wow. I got that. That's not like, oh, you're sad she's here. It's like a wah wah on her. It's really not or, her fault. No, like on the airline, maybe? On, yeah, Turkish, yeah, on, on yeah. Turkish, yeah. She, uh, she got delayed coming back from Istanbul. For some reason, her flight from Greece was connected through Istanbul. No one told uh, those folks that that's the wrong way. That's the wrong way to get back to America to fly to Turkey via Greece, uh, which is a shame because I wanted to... Should I wait, Jack, for next time to talk about uh, the Greece trip? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I, was, I actually made it to Turkey for a day because I was on the same oh, flight. Yeah? But yeah, but I came back a, a day early so that I could uh, hang out in Istanbul for a day. Really cool food in uh, Turkey. Really? Did you know that Turkish cheese is really interesting, Jack? No. Why? I don't. I mean, <clears throat> I just hadn't expected it. They have this. Um, I need to look up the translations because I, you know, I don't speak any. Uh, you know, I don't speak anything other really than English and a smattering of German and, you know, enough French to get me by in the kitchen. But uh, I guess the same Spanish, just enough to like just the kitchen. Anyway, <clears throat> the point is they have this like crazy string cheese thing, but it tastes like beer almost like it's yellow. They have like a white string cheese. It tastes fairly neutral. And they have a yellow string cheese. It tastes kind of like fermented yeasty beer kind of a situation. They have a sheep's milk cheese. It's aged, get ready for it, aged in a goat skin. What? Yeah. They have a, I'll say it again, they have a sheep's milk cheese aged in a goat's skin. Good. Very good. Uh, they have some, like, incredibly light, like, buttery cheese. They have some, they have some really, really good cheeses. Uh, also, uh, had some really, uh, they, you know that they had some very good cured fish in, uh, in Turkey? Did you know this? I did not know that either. We'll talk about it later. They have this, uh, I forget the name. Of it. Oh, Lakerda is the name of it. It's this, uh, mm. it's this bonito that comes through the Bosporus that they catch. And then they salt. They like salt it and lightly brine it and serve it raw. It's like the most velvety, with onions, it's like the most velvety textured fish like ever. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, so big surprise. I didn't even get to go to any. I was in Turkey. I had this Slepton Derma. Are you familiar with that, Jack? The stretchy ice cream? Yeah. Well, it's the first time I've had it actually there, you know, proper, uh, which is nice. Um, and, you know, you can bring it home. It's not quite the same. They're lying. They say that it's going to be the same. It's not quite the same when you bring it home. I think it needs to be manipulated a little bit. It didn't have quite the bite because I paid some ungodly amount of money to – do you also know that you can bring dry ice on an airplane as long as nobody asks you? Well – yeah, sure. You can bring a lot of stuff as long as nobody asks you. Well, I mean, they sold it to me on the airplane. Oh, okay. And it's actually, uh, when I got home at JFK, it's the first time I've ever been able to actually rationally uh, talk somebody at customs out of anything. They're like, well, you can't bring that in because it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not cheese, so it's not fermented. It's dairy and you know, may contain eggs. And I said, well, you know, it's cooked. And, he's, and the straight-faced guy looks at me. He's like, when I make ice cream at home, it's not cooked. Really? He said this to me. I was like, we're going to get in this conversation. I said, okay. 
I said, well, I said, well, I said there's <clears throat> two basic kinds of ice cream that we eat here in America. You got your Philly-style ice cream, which is, uh, does not have egg yolks. Uh, typically, and is not cooked. And I was like, this is probably what you're making at home. This is a Briar style of ice cream. I said, the other and more typical kind of ice cream is uh, something uh, familiar to more like a Haagen-Dazs or a Ben & Jerry, which contains egg yolks and is, in fact, cooked and pasteurized before it's, uh, before it's made. I said, this, I said, this particular ice cream that I'm bringing home from Turkey, not only was it sold at the airport for transport into, into foreign countries, but uh, contains a, a, a powder... Uh, from, a, from an orchid that must be cooked in order for it to work. So I can guarantee that this ice cream has been cooked up to temperatures that are going to kill anything that's in it. You know what the guy said? Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, sure. All right. I mean, you seem to know what's going on. That didn't save me the last time I tried to bring something uh, through. Yeah, you what know? was that? You got stopped last time. Well, that was different. So customs, right? Customs job, I mean, I guess they're, they're, they're supposed to ensure the safety they have a couple of things, right? They're supposed to ensure that you're not breaking the law, like you're not bringing in rhino horn or anything like that, right? Um, they're, they're also supposed to ensure that you're not going to bring any deadly new pathogens in, like you're not going to bring the next, uh, oh, I don't know, Asian longhorn beetle or something like this, right? Or chestnut blight or, or, or citrus greening. You're not going to bring in the next – by the way, speaking of blight, you have been hearing about the uh, bird flu? Oh, just a little bit. Tell me more. Forty. 40 million birds so far uh, oh, uh, killed here in, in, the, uh, in the U.S. With the, with the bird flu. Price of eggs going through the roof. Price of eggs, which, you know, eggs. no one ever talks about. Everyone says, you know, talk about the price of eggs. Like, that's like the, you know, the standard, like, what's the bull crap? The price of eggs, right? Price of eggs, actually now an interesting subject. Yeah. For the first time in, in who knows how long. Yeah. So uh, usually this bird flu hasn't struck kind of commercial uh, – uh, you know, hatcheries, not hatcheries, what's the word, like egg, egg production things. Um, this time, yeah, 40 million birds. I mean, we have a lot more than 40 million birds, but the price of eggs has gone, gone, gone way up. Now, I was reading recently that they think they're going to get it under control by, by September, but that's still, that's pretty far away, it's you know? summer away. Yeah, although I was also reading, luckily, that this virus uh, doesn't like it when it's hot out. It's much like me. It doesn't like it when it's hot out, and so uh, the, the prevalence is probably going to go down over the summer. Eh, we'll see. And how did I get on that? Oh, yeah, <clears throat> customs. So the other guy was uh, when they st- I had all these powders that I had labeled, right? So, uh, you know, I had citric acid powder, malic acid powder, all this stuff labeled. Guy comes up to me and says, uh, they didn't identify it, so they called in the explosive expert who has this, like, little doodad that can actually detect kind of what products you have with you. And it was able to pick up the malic acid and the citric acid uh, <clears throat> and uh, I think one other, tartaric acid. And it's like, yeah, it's exactly what he said. Couldn't pick up – first of all, this guy is like super – one of these super suspicious types. You ever meet these guys who like goes through their whole life super suspicious all the time? Yeah. I understand it's their, that's their job because they're trying to catch people who are doing bad things. You know what I mean? But you know, in general, you know, who the hell wants to be like that? They walk through life treating everyone like they're a potential threat. Realize it's his job. Anyway, so he says to me, you know, uh, acids – and then he couldn't identify two acids that I had, right? He couldn't identify – uh, lactic acid, I don't know why, and he couldn't identify uh, agar agar powder, which is a seaweed powder. Obviously, he can't identify it. It's a huge, like, you know, uh, polymer, right? Uh, you know, sugar polymer, you know, a polysaccharide. Of course, you can't identify. How the hell are you going to be able to identify that? Uh, so I said, uh, I said, well, 
I said, okay, uh, I don't understand this because half the stuff on my body you can't identify, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can't identify a block of wood either because it also can't identify cellulose because it's a large chain powder. But okay, and it has something wood that you're letting bring through that you can't identify. But, but sure, and the other things that I labeled were the things I labeled. He goes, well, and he goes, well, you have to throw all of it out. I was like, all of it? But you were able to identify the, the, these things. He's like, well, but I couldn't identify these, so I have to throw out everything that I couldn't identify. Uh, and uh, the guy was just a... A freak, a freak. You know what I mean? It's like how because because I was like you know look at he, and he says he looks at me straight face. He says acids can be used as oxidizers in explosive reactions. I was like I can be used as an oxidizer in a freaking explosive reaction. Like what the hell are you talking about? Like where on your little computer database does it say citric acid should be regulated because of its potential use in explosives? And if so, where's all the other stuff that I'm going to combine with the citric acid to make into a bomb? But you can't even say those words in an airport. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, well. or or you'll get. You'll get instantly, instantly annihilated. And the guy said to me, he goes, you have, you have two choices. Surrender all of this or I'll just turn you over to the Port Authority police. I was like, turn me over to the Port Authority police for what? For what did I do that I need to be turned over to the police? So, you know, typically you can't reason with – that's like the last time I tried to bring Meddler Jelly in to, uh, from England. And the lady goes, um, you can't bring that uh, Meddler Jelly in. It's a, a liquid. I said, I said oh. It is, huh? And I unscrewed, I, I unscrewed the lid of the Meddler jelly and turned it upside down and held it there for like 30 seconds. Of course, nothing came out because, right. in fact, it's a solid. And she's like, well, it can be melted uh, into a liquid. And I pulled out a piece of plastic and I said, this can be melted into a liquid. Furthermore, I can be melted into a liquid. And she's like, and she's like we, well, we have to let you on the airplane. We don't have to let the jelly on the airplane. I was like, you are a bad human being. You're just a poor quality person. You know what I mean? It's mm. just like... Mm. You know, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, like I can't make solid things that can light on fire or explosives, but like somehow meddler, eh, whatever. I don't even want to get into it. I already did. You did. I did. I didn't want to get into it, but I did. The rules are so nutty, bags. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever. I'm on pro safety. I don't want anyone to think that I'm anti safety. You are pro safety. I'm pro safety. As much as you know, I got. I got. Uh, hold on a second. I got to move the mic for one second. We're filming in here, and so they're you know, moving around in our spacious studios. Uh, I actually did get two really boneheaded, because I wasn't being safe injuries this weekend, two separate ones. Uh-oh. Two separate Memorial Day stupid dad uh, injuries. I hit my foot with an axe. Oh, man. Yeah, which was entirely my fault. I hit a punky piece of wood, and it glanced the wrong way, and guess what I was wearing on my feet instead of safety boots? Freaking sneakers. Oh, well, at least it wasn't sandals. Uh, uh, well, thanks for that, Jack. But yes, I, so I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, uh, you know, yes, I wasn't beach bomb stupid, but I was incredibly stupid. And the other one, installing an umbrella. You know, I hate umbrellas, right? You know that, Jack? I did not know that. I hate umbrellas. How come? Uh, they're ridiculous. I, I get poked. They, they're all like umbrellas are like the prime example of I'm important crap on you. You know what I mean? It's like they're mm. all about poking other people in the face or getting out of a subway and standing there at the entrance while, while someone else is trying to get out, fiddling around with your umbrella or trying to walk into an entryway and poking somebody in the eye or dripping yeah. on someone's head in, under an overhang. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Yeah, they're crap. They're, yeah, they're you know, just deal with it. Wear a hat like I do. Yeah. Get a raincoat. You know what I mean? It's like very few. Uh, or you know, a poncho. That's a lot. Yeah, poncho. There are many other, you know what, you're just as important as I am kind of situations to handle the rain. Right. right. Don't get me started on on parasols. So Where what happened with the umbrella this weekend? Oh well, this you know is a deck umbrella, which formerly I was for because I hate the sun. But you know this one uh, aspire you know it, it tried to tried to kill. But my fault. They walk up. There's like the umbrella is not fitting into its pole properly. I'm like, okay, let me turn this so it rotates. Oh, so I rotate it. And shunk. Oof. 
took a big chunk out of my pinky. Oof. My fault. My fault. Stupid. So uh, I guess the point saying is that is that it's the things that you don't think, like you're going out and you're splitting a, a little bit of wood, you don't think you're going to get damaged. Of course, when I was a kid, I was severely injured splitting wood. I don't know what the heck is wrong with me. Like, I should be thinking about it. You know what I mean? Or, uh, or uh, you know, installing an umbrella. That's, it's, not, it's not when you're using a chainsaw or, like, using a deep fryer that you get hurt because you're on your toes. It's when you're doing something stupid. That's when you get tagged. You know what I mean, Jack? Oh, boy. Anyways, this does not have anything to do with cooking issues, so I should probably get off. But Alvin... Alvin Schultz, uh, you know Alvin Schultz, uh, yeah. Jack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Long-time fr- listener. Yeah, yeah, good friend of the show. Uh, wrote in with a, another thing to add to our uh, Vegetti monologues. He says, <clears throat> uh, t- this is his quote, uh, at Cooking Issues, uh, are you tired of getting things jammed up in your Vegetti? And he goes, try this from the trusted folks at KitchenAid. KitchenAid now sells a spiralizer attachment for your KitchenAid. Uh, for your KitchenAid, that's it's more really of a, taking off. Huh? It's more of an open air spiralizer, Jack. So you can't get anything kind of jammed into Got it. Got it. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, because who's not tired of getting things jammed up in their vegetis? Um, Joe Hanley wrote in, "Hey Dave, what's the best way to defrost hard frozen vac pack steak and chicken? Easy." Water. And uh, if you have a vac pack, uh, you probably also have a circulator. So the easiest way is to uh, set, your, uh, set your circulator at like 4 or 5 degrees Celsius uh, and then just run it at 4 to 5 degrees Celsius. It'll keep heating the water and circulating it. That's the most gentle way. If you're going to cook it right away, you know, and you don't mind the fact that it's going to go into the you know, danger zone for a little while, then you can jack it all the way to like 18 Celsius or something like that, and it'll take it up you know, e- even quicker. But yeah, circulator uh, in water is by far the best way to thaw a product that's been uh, vac-packed. Like, ain't, ain't, no, ain't no question. You know what I mean, Jack? No question. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Can you think of a better way? Nope. No. You know what they used to sell for uh, thawing things out? They used to sell large blocks of aluminum. You ever see those at the as-seen-on-TV things? Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah. They're large blocks of aluminum with, uh, I think, typically with fins on the other side, and it's, it's a tip, but... Even that is not going to beat just like, you know, sitting in a water bath, like circulating all the time. You know, just won't work. Just won't beat it. Anyways. Uh, okay. Uh, it's sad that Stas is not here, huh? We had to do it one other time. What was wrong with Stas the other time? We couldn't do it. Uh, she was in California, maybe, on the phone. Oh, uh, yeah. She usually joins us by phone. <clears throat> well, she can't because she's literally in transport. And that's like right. last week. Yeah. I was spinning stuff in a centrifuge and couldn't do it. And someone's going to ask a question later. Hopefully, I get to it about like uh, centrifuges. So we'll get to that later as we're going. Uh, Simeon Priest wrote in and basically just said uh, that uh, they, they like the book and, and they like the show. Well, thanks. It's very long. I, I don't like reading long, long, praiseful things. So I'm not going to read it. But uh, thanks. Uh, oh, and he says, uh, my wife and I will be traveling to NYC next week for a short vacation celebrating the end of the semester. And we'll most definitely be making Booker and Dax one of our must-sees. Can't wait to get that first uh, liquid nitro chilled glass in front of me. Well, thanks. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see you there. By the way, Jack, did you know this? Istanbul, formerly, or Istanbul, I guess, formerly right. Constantinople, right? Yep. Familiar with this from the They Might Be Giants song. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, did you know that Oh, so for those of you that aren't from New York City, we have kind of an irritating habit of wherever we are, New Yorkers, and, you know, back me up, anyone, New Yorkers, right? Yeah, New Yorkers. Yes. Uh, w- when you say that you're going back to New York, you don't say, I'm going back to New York City. You just say, I'm going back to the city. Yes. It's, yes. it's super irritating for other people because you could be in a city as large as yours. You're like, you could be in Mexico City, which is like much bigger than, than New York. You know what I mean? And you could say, oh, yeah, I'm going back to the city like tomorrow. And you're like, what? 
which what what city which one and you're like what the 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 uh, and it's like super irritating new york habit but strangely i looked up that uh istanbul or istanbul is roughly translated as a variant just meaning the city so they're the same way we are they're like they're the same thing what arrogant I, I wasn't going to put it that way. <laughs> Say extreme love of their city, or that, or that, or that. Extreme, extreme love of their of their city. I have a caller on the line, by the way. Oh, caller, you were on the air. Hi, Dave. This is uh, Justin from California. How you doing? Uh, good. How are you? All right. A little sweaty, biked over, um, but all right. Also inhaled something <laughs> on the street. It never fails. Uh, it never fails that when I'm biking, as soon as I go a little bit over the limit of what I can do, where I breathing through my nose, I breathe once through my mouth and I suck some sort of particle into my lungs and spend the rest of the bike ride hacking and wheezing all the way over. Invariably. Anyway, go ahead. <clears throat> all right. Um, so my uh, cooking question is: uh, but I just got a centrifuge, the CR four one two, off eBay. Nice. How much did you pay? If I've you don't mind my asking. I paid about four hundred. Good deal. Good deal. Nice with yeah, buckets. Good deal. It's a hundred percent organ. Nice. At least from what I can tell, I spun it up to 4,500 4, RPM and it's working. Beautiful. Um, the thing that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to disinfect the unit, and mm-hmm. um, I put it through a concentrated chlorine bath, and then I pressure cooked it and i noticed that there uh when i poured out the concentrated a lot of red or a purplish uh color uh was pouring out of the bucket huh and it seems like um if i take like a paper towel and i rub it on the inside of the cups um there's like a purplish film it's almost like the color rouge hmm um very csi yeah Huh. Well, that has not happened to any of mine. Now, let me, let's just make sure we're talking about these are black anodized aluminum buckets, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So there's some sort of like something busted in them once, obviously. And sp- all the buckets or just some of the buckets? <clears throat> uh, all of the buckets. Do you know who had it before you had it, what they were doing with it? No, I don't. I was actually going to call them. Uh, sometime soon, or yeah. at least try and get in touch with them. I bought it from a thrift store. So. <laughs> a thrift store? What the heck kind of thrift yeah. stores do you have? That's unbelievable. I I was, it was on eBay, and then I offered the person cash since they're local, and they just happened to be from a thrift store. It's like, hey, uh, I'm going to pick up some uh, old T-shirts, an army jacket, a belt, <laughs> and a centrifuge. It's crazy. Thrift yep. store. Uh, yeah, and there's no tags on it? Uh, like from like who repaired it before or anything like that? No. Hmm. Um, I mean, it looks like it's in good condition. Yeah, that's super um, interesting. I don't know what the red is. Look, don't use anything highly abrasive on the inside, but get a scotch bright, wear gloves, scrub it, and see whether you can get that stuff to stop coming off. You've killed, with the pressure cooking and the bleach, you've killed pretty much uh, every bioagent that I can think of. Uh... Will bleach do prions? I don't know. And you're soaking it and scrubbing it. But I would make sure that you get all of that, all of the gunk uh, out of it. Can you see the gunk when you're just looking at it? Yeah, it's a, it's like a kind of like a powder, powdery. It's like really stuck on there, but it's kind of like a powdery uh, sheen that you see if you put it up to the light. You can see like a purple haze. Purple Haze, nice, strong. Uh, now I got that song going through my head. You ruined me for the whole day. Uh, the, um, you know, some of the old Juans used to have, uh, uh, or they still do, uh, 
plastic inserts that go into those buckets to hold test tubes. And I wonder whether it's just like years of like that powdered of powdering those things yeah. up. Like, does it look like it could be plastic dust, or it looks like a liquid? Like, it f- makes the whole liquid that color. Uh, not. I mean, not sure. If it could be dust, <laughs> um, I don't. I would just take a Scotch Bright, okay, and just like gently Scotch Bright okay. it. See whether you can get that stuff off. Use um, a mild detergent, like one that's meant to go onto aluminum. I mean, I obviously don't dishwash these things because the dishwasher detergent will eat the aluminum the same way that they'll eat an aluminum pot. You don't want to okay. weaken the, the surface. But see whether you can get that off and then, you know, a couple more good bleach soaks. The pressure cooking will kill anything um, bio with the exception of, uh, like I say, prions. But scrubbing mm-hmm. and uh, uh, – scrubbing and um, – uh, and maybe an extra bleach because the problem is also <clears throat> you want to make sure that there wasn't anything hiding out underneath the gunk that the bleach couldn't get to the first time around. So once it's clean, you want to yeah. go with one last kind of bleach aroma. There wasn't this red gunk uh, or purple gunk around the inside of the uh, the stainless uh, containment vessel, was there? No. Yeah. Okay. So if that's no, if that's clean, like you know, one one good uh, couple good bleachings on that, <clears throat> propped open and let dry, should uh, should get you going. But yeah, I would get the gunk off because who knows what it is. Especially, it's less of a concern if you're going to spin in buckets. But I usually spin. I mean, uh, in uh, sorry, in uh, bottles in the buckets. But I usually spin directly in um, the buckets. But you have to be mm-hmm. super super happy with the cleanliness of the buckets if you're going to do that. Okay. But all yeah, I'll give that a shot. Yeah, but all in all, great find. Let us know uh, what happened. Refrigeration still works? You said it was a CR, right? What's that? You said it was a refrigerated unit, right? You said CR? Yes. Yeah. Is it a CR it, version. Is the fridge still work? Yes. Okay. Here's, let me, here's a couple pointer to anyone that has this, uh, has this kind of centrifuge out there. Here's what typically goes wrong with it. It's going to stop spinning as quickly. It's because you probably need to replace the brushes. Make sure that you take like a... An, a non-gunking eraser or something, and clean off the copper on the rotor uh, on the on the um, on the motor before you put the brushes back in, or you'll probably eat the brushes down again. You can get the brushes for a couple of bucks. Ozark Biomedical stocks them, and you can get them also from I think Granger if you happen to know the size. The other, um, maybe even McMaster, I'm not sure. Uh, I've had on those things the brake units uh, go on me, and you can just clip them and not have the brake anymore. Although it's nice having the brake. Uh, sometimes the uh, solenoids for the lids go wonky, but you can just take off the front, make sure you put it back on before you do it, and, and fix that. And I've had the refrigeration go on me a couple of times, the actual controller for it, not the refrigerant, in which case you can put a separate controller on it or just put the refrigeration on manual. But they're good, solid units. It should work, work for a good long time. Great. Great. Well, thank you. All right, thanks. Good luck with it. Uh, hey, Jack, should we take a commercial break? Yeah, why don't I just read this text from Stas first? All right. Just got out of airport. Hate everyone. That's like, like, except for the airport, that's every day. That's yeah, that's it. Coming back with cooking issues. Hello out there, it's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn, Red Wattle. Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. 
And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's heritage turkey, Japanese steaks, Berkshire pork, or Navajo churro lamb chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at heritagefoodsusa.com for more information. And we are back. Hey, you know what I didn't notice before, Jack? What? Steve Jenkins calling off Fairway a little bit. He's like, you're not going to find us at the Fairway butcher counter. Whoa! Yeah, whoa. Whoa! Calling him out. Now, that's what makes an ad effective, though. Yeah, when someone's like, hey, you know what? You know, like, you know, Fairway, like the place that I, I put on the cheese map? Remember them? They don't have this stuff. Shame on them. Yeah. Big call out. Had you, had you noticed that before? Yeah, I did. Powerful stuff. Heritage Foods USA. The only place to get it. Yeah. Wow. The only place. I like the way he says red wattle. I like anyway. the way he says Navajo. Navajo, true. I you know. I, well, we talked about when I te- I tested all of the um, all the lamb breed, not all of them, but I tested like four or five lamb breeds for mm-hmm. the Easter. We talked about that, right? Yeah, delicious. Oh yeah, delicious. In the Tandoor, world's greatest uh, cooking. Uh, well, my favorite current cooking implement. I'm like, look, some point I'm going to have to do a big study on, uh, uh, on like, different kind of uh, cooking implements for, like, different, like, I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to do a lot of work. It's going to take, maybe I should write that in my next book. You know, I still haven't figured out what my next book's going to be about, Jack. Really? Yeah. i got to figure out my next book. We should crowdsource that. Here's yeah. I, speaking of which, I have a caller on the line. Oh, really? Oh, caller, you're on the air. Yes, I know you're great. Love of cured uh, meat products. Mm. And I have, I wanted to hear your personal, just what your personal opinion would be. There's such a convoluted argument between nitrates and nitrites and whether or not we should eat them in our cured products because carcinogenic, what have you. Uh, There's a ton of stuff out there that doesn't have that, but they have to up the celery, whatever, to get it to those levels. Do you have any issues or think nitrates or nitrites are safe? Oh, yeah, they're safe. I just want to hear your opinion. They're safe. Yeah, they're safe. Look, the fact of the matter is is that all the stuff that's labeled uh, uncured with big old quotes that you get at the Whole Foods, some of which I enjoy, like like uh, Nyman Ranch bacon, I enjoy it. I purchase it mainly because, uh, you know, uh, I like the way that they um, source the – and, you know, have the pigs, pigs raised. That's mainly why I buy it. I think that the um, – the, the nitrates uh, uh, and nitrites um, argument is complete bunk. First of all, uh, if you're getting – if the bacon is pink, right, if it's pink and stays pink when you cooked it, i.e., i.e., if it is bacon, right, it has uh, nitrites in it. So then the question is where are you getting the nitrites from, right? Are you getting it from uh, – are you actually sourcing nitrites or are you taking – uh, celery or some other green thing that is like just soaking up a bunch of it from the ground and then concentrating it from that form to add it. Either way, same effect. Same, same product, really, same effect. It's just hocus pocus. It's more, it's more BS on the label of, on the level of, uh, saying that a flavor is all natural just because they haven't synthetically created a new compound where there wasn't another. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
Yeah. You're dealing with functional equivalents, both as far as, as the meat is concerned and as far as uh, your body is concerned. Uh, and, you know, uh, the nitrites uh, are there to provide cured taste, cured uh, color, uh, and to prevent botulism, frankly. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, so bacon is one thing because it's cooked at high levels. So the argument in bacon is one of. Uh, Against you know nitrosamines, right? Because whatever, I don't know what the current state of, of causing cancer with nitrosamines is. I, I really don't. But uh, like I said, if it's pink and if it's bacon, then it's got that stuff in it anyway, and I don't care how it got in there. And furthermore, if you, I don't, I don't think that there's you know any research that I think is decent that shows that there's a, a high enough level of worry in eating. Because frankly, you're not, you're not your great-grandpa or great-great-grandpa going off to uh, the California gold rush in the 1840s, and the only thing you can freaking survive on is dried cured meats because that's all you can carry in your backpack, right? I mean, I'm presuming that's not the life you lead, which means that uh, you know, the vast majority of your uh, food intake is not from uh, cured meats. And so you're eating a relatively small – especially because as opposed to your great-great-grandpa, all this stuff is fairly highly titrated now. So they're not adding a boat ton extra of this stuff than they used to. And in fact, we're using uh, – for everything except for country hams, you're using nitrites instead of nitrates. The nitrites uh, dissipate even more quickly and use in, in smaller amounts. So really your overall risk level, even if there is a risk, your overall risk level is – relatively low, and I would say don't worry about it, uh, especially if you're eating a lot of cured meats that don't require a lot of cooking, like uh, or any cooking for that matter, like salumi or, 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 or whatnot. But it's one of those things that I think is really overblown, and the whole uncured pink stuff with the celery really just gets me, uh, it gets me uh, ticked off because it, the problem with it, I think, is, is that consumers believe that they're getting something that they're not. Consumers believe that they're somehow buying health, and they're not. You know what I mean? They're just... They're just paying extra for someone to have to jump through a hoop to get a label that looks friendly for the exact same result. You know what I mean? And that is an irritant to me. Yeah, it's an irritant to me as well. Yeah. I hope that, hope that helped. Oh, that was a fantastic summary. Yeah, and my grandpappy ate way more sodium than I do. Of course they did. Because he, he ate all that. Because they didn't have a fridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or my, great, yeah. my, my grandfather had My great-grandfather didn't have one. You know what I mean? So, But it's like... I don't know. And, uh, you know, luckily I think we're coming off of uh, – if they, these things go in waves. Like, like particular hatred for any, uh, any one of our normal foodstuffs comes in waves. And I think hopefully the, the anti-salt wave is crested and crashed and we're you know, back into uh, – although you never know. Big food companies still spend a lot of uh, time and energy um, trying to reduce, uh, reduce sodium for, for one or more. Some reasons valid, some reasons not, not valid. But, um, well, isn't it the same thing like with, with – you know, salt products—they get all these like highfalutin, supposed to be better for you salt products, and it's still still the sodium compound is the sodium compound minus whatever minerals or whatever else they want to treat it or harvest it with. Correct. The sodium compound. That is correct. Now there are so the so the things that they can do. So let's say you're there are people right who are sensitive to uh, to salt and should cut down their salt because they're prone to have uh, blood pressure spikes as a result of salt intake right there, people are yeah, yeah. right okay and uh, so what they can do like 
milligram per milligram, salt is going to affect your body the same way no matter how, no matter, no matter what. I don't care. You know what I mean? If it's harvested by Tibetan monks in, you know, in the, in the Himalayas, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Virgin, virgin, virgin Tibetan monks. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, exactly. You know, although Tibetans, interestingly, uh, Buddhists still, still eat meat, right? Because you have to at those high altitudes, right? You need the fat. So these guys are still eating yak. And whatnot, plus yak, but whatever. But there's a whole separate discussion. What I'm saying is the salt is the salt. However, there are people that can engineer salt delivery systems and salt to make the equivalent amount of salt taste saltier to you by uh, by altering the way, for instance, on a potato chip, which is a dry salt application. They can form salt into uh, shapes like spheres that taste saltier for a given level of salt just because because a lot of the salt that you eat you like you might not even ever taste you know what i mean it might just go into your body without it actually hitting your tongue in a way that you can taste it so they can they can do things like that they can add also um other things to augment your perception of saltiness in the food without without there being salt in there uh they can also add so salt, aside from being salty, clearly um, increases your perception of other flavors. It's a flavor – it's not just a, a, its own taste, tastent on the tongue. It's an enhancer of other tastes and flavors. Uh, so they have other things that can do that uh, that are not salt, right? Um, you know, they can boost, for instance, um, savory umami and get some of the similar kind of like flavor-enhancing techniques that you can with salt. So there are things they can do um, – to alter the salt in there that aren't kind of hokum. I think – look, all – what's hilarious about this is is that most people who are anti-salt are, are anti or, or anti-nitrites are somehow anti-processed, anti-processed foods, right? But what they don't understand is that the amount of processing that actually goes into creating uh, products that are lower in that but are still packaged goods is higher than if they had just used the, the normal crap to begin with. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's a good- yeah, to get the amount of celery you have to have to perform that same ability that a regular nitrite would do would be—it's a lot. Yeah, I don't even know what the concentration levels are or how the exact kind of process is, but it's—it's it's just one of those things that people—they uh, believe, you know, they—they they, they just want to—they want to believe something, and you know, yeah. Who, who honestly, I- that would, honestly, whatever you do next for a book would be a lot of fun to get some of those myths and write on them. Would be, I would enjoy reading. Right, well, there's a lot of books out now. They're coming out now. It's a tough subject. In general, kind of like the, the psychology and the kind of science of what, what we eat in, in this realm is, is uh, there's a lot of books being written from multiple sides. So, like, the, there's a book called The Dorito Effect that just came out that has Good a. Book. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have my issues with it, but yeah, I, I, just, I just read it. And, um, uh, you know, the, a couple of years ago, there was a sugar, fat, salt. And which I had a lot of problems with, actually, because my, my ten, I thought the basic tenet of that book was they were like, food companies are trying to make their food as delicious as possible. Stop it! You know, which doesn't make sense to me. But, but, but the, the Dorito effect kind of picked up where that took off, right? And kind of the argument of that is showing um, – the argument of the book – it just came out, right, Jack? Yeah, it did. Yeah, I mean, the argument of that book is more that um, they're making stuff taste good – uh, but that's messing with your biology because it doesn't have the nutrients that those tastes would uh, would would normally signify. Anyway, there's a lot of work on on that side. The problem is a lot of the work that is kind of calling uh, calling BS on um, <clears throat> on movements like the anti salt movement or or this or like the fake nitrites are written by um, 
people with a real axe to grind. And there's very – it's hard to kind of write something that hits in the middle road that doesn't piss everybody off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they're, and they're always selling you the alternative when they grind the axe. Exactly. That's why they're grinding the axe. Exactly. So, like, for instance, like uh, the, the, genetic, the genetically modified uh, – you know, the anti-GMO lobby. Let's just take that for, for, for an example. Like, uh, now look, <clears throat> from a scientific standpoint – uh, it's pretty damn clear that there is that it's that there's no problems with it, right? And that in fact people are pushing to regulate something that is much safer than other processes that they might wish to regulate first. For instance, people are pushing for GMO uh, labeling on GMO products, but and I'm not saying that it, so I don't want anyone to get mad at me, right? If you want like whatever you want, you want this is fine. I'm just presenting kind of w- what I think, but there's. The uh, people who want GMO products labeled, maybe what they don't realize is that in a genetic modification, uh, you're putting a specific gene in to, uh, to an organism because you think that that gene will help do something, and it's a gene that has a known function in another organism, right? That's what we're talking about. Now, uh, you know what doesn't ever need GM labeling or can, can be labeled as GMO-free? Here's something that can be labeled GMO-free. You take and you bombard seeds with high-intensity radiation to, or mutagens, straight-up mutagens. Uh, now, I'm, I'm all for this too, by the way. I'm not against this. I'm just saying that the people who are anti-GMO, you'd think they'd be anti-this. You can bombard these things uh, and, and cause spontaneous mutations that, that may do something you like. They may do something you hate. But here's one thing they are freaking unpredictable because they're spontaneous mutations due to mutagens and radiation. You grow these things and you get something that you like and you don't have to label it at all. You can label it organic and you can label it GMO-free. Now, that makes no freaking sense and it's not really what the, the, GM, the anti-GMO lobby wants. If you actually talk to the, the GMO, anti-GMO lobby, which uh, you know, I have in various kind of – in the MOFAD debates that we've done and over the years – what their argument actually really boils down to is their anti-big corporation. But no one wants yeah. to ha- – yeah, no one wants to have that conversation, right? It's not really the genetic modification because if you're like, what about this genetically modified plant? They're like, well, that didn't work. I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, you well, know. they're particularly against one large corporation, but that's, that's part of the issue. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is like, w- what we should do is we should just have the conversation about Monsanto. Or, or you know, whomever. There's a couple other ones, but we should just have that conversation. But for some reason, no one is willing to have. Very few people are willing to have. There is, there, there are uh, some. I forget the name of the author. I don't know why it went out of my head. But basically, he wrote a book that said, you know what? The problem is, is that food is too important to have in the control of big uh, corporations. Right. That's the tenet of the book. I was like, okay, finally, someone who's just being honest. This is that they're anti big corporation controlling the food supply. But once someone makes that argument, well, then you can have a reasonable discussion about what the alternatives are. You're like, okay, are you really willing to abandon kind of like uh, the system that we have now? And what would the alternative be? That's a reasonable discussion versus the GMO, which it seems to me to be kind of a uh, like you're you're trying to squat. Monsanto would still be in business if there was no genetic modification. Let's be clear on this. Monsanto would still be trying to run the seed trade in the U.S. with or without uh, genetic uh, modification. Like we could talk about patent laws being problematic. There's all these things that can be talked about as being problematic, but very few people are having an honest discussion. And I don't know whether or not um, it's possible to write a book that deals with that or, or even partially deals with that without just falling into a flurry of crap from both sides that have access to grind, the corporation, pro-corporation side and the anti-corporation side. It's, it's a kind of a weird space to be in. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's every documentary and blog post you read on the subject. It's just a torrent of crap from both sides. Right, right. So when you have a torrent of crap from both sides, like, where's the market for the middle? And I don't know, because, you know, it takes a long time and a lot of energy to write a book. And well, so, there, is no, there is no market for the middle. That's not what sells. It's either the, the, you know, the cheaper, where they're complaining about GMO products to sell, or the non-GMO products that they can, you know, save their save their bodies like they would want to save their souls by ingesting holy foods. That's their mindset. Right. And, and you know, the, pro- the real problem is if you, read, if you read books on either side, and even I'm saying the reasonable books on either side, so like uh, take uh, – <clears throat> um, oh, I forget the one written by, uh, by the uh, – there's a written by a, a genetic uh, – a, you know, a, a person who does genetic engineering and her husband who's a farmer – uh, organic farmer. That's an you know, interesting book. Or uh, Mendel in the Kitchen, which is pro, uh, obviously pro. That was written by uh, what's her name, Nina Fedorov, you know, well-known uh, uh, a GMO expert. Um, or if you read on the other side, any one of the number of books that everybody reads, uh, you know, it's uh, you can see kernels of good arguments in both sides. Not really so much on on the hatred of GMO in general. I really don't. I don't see the teeth in that. But you know, that you. But it's just. They always bring their BS baggage with them. You know what I mean? And that's the, that's the problem. But you're right. There's no market for the middle, at least not that I can see. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I appreciate the uh, lively lunchtime discussion. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for calling in. And I've got one more caller here. All right, caller, you are on the air. Hey, Dave. Good afternoon. Um, I have a friend who really loves mimosas, and I was wondering if you had any kind of, like, interesting ideas for variations, like doing anything clarified or, like, forced carbonating. Like, have you ever tried, like, forced carbonating white wine or kind of anything like that? Yes. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're, crinkling, you're crinkling up a little bit, but here's the problem with the mimosa. So your, your friend already likes mimosas, right? So here's the thing. Uh, you can't change the fact that they already like uh, a mimosa. So a mimosa is lightly carbonated because the orange juice in it can't be carbonated that highly, right? Also, I mean, they're not making mimosas with actual champagne, right? Are they rich? Are these friends of yours rich? Not quite. Okay. So they're probably using cava or prosecco. I'm just guessing. Um, the easiest right. way to do this – here's the other problem though. It, now, you can clarify. You can straight clarify – Orange juice, but if you straight clarify orange juice, uh, it turns uh, it tastes. And this, well, I always say this, even though I haven't had it in years, but it tastes like Sunny D or Tang. It no longer tastes like orange juice; it tastes like orange drink, right? Right, right. right. So uh, what you're going to look for is more of an orangina kind of carbonation level. And so with with that, what I would do is I would just put your orange juice through the finest filter you can. First of all, obviously, if you're going to fresh squeeze it. Then put it through a fine uh, chinois, and then if you can get it through a paper towel or something just to get rid of almost all uh, the big particles, right? Chill it down hard, and then carbonate just the OJ. Uh, and if, obviously, if you're buying at the supermarket, just buy a no-pulp guy. Uh, and um, just carbonate it like, like five times. And what you're doing there is – so particles do two things. Particles in your, in your juice are their own nucleation sites, Right. Um, which is problematic. Also, the pectin in the OJ is, uh, you know what? You probably could reduce the pectin by putting SPL and not clarifying it and still have the taste be right. Huh, that's an interesting idea. I've never tested that. 
Huh, just thought of it. Anyway, but uh, so there's pectin in there, which is causing foaming, but also uh, particles have air trapped on them. So you're not going to get away, change the fact that the particles themselves are nucleation sites. But by carbonating like five, six, seven times, you'll be blasting the air that's trapped on those particles off of them and making it easier for you to get good carbonation. But then I would have a bottle of carbonated juice and I would have uh, your uh, bottle of bubbly separate and I would pour them together in this way. For those of you who don't want it to be mimosified, it doesn't have to be mimosified, and you're not throwing away a bunch of bottles of um, of uh, bubbly at the end of the day if you don't finish it all. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll give that a try. All right. And then some other things, if you can clarify, that are really good with champagne. In fact, I just did it in Greece and haven't done it in a long time. Clarified strawberry juice in champagne. Then you carbonate the strawberry juice. Clarified strawberry juice tastes delicious uh, and carbonates well. You're probably going to have to add a little bit of extra sugar depending on uh, what time of the summer it is and what the bricks of your strawberries are when they come in. Usually I like to take strawberry juice up to about uh, 16 bricks, somewhere around there. And like uh, you know, sometimes they come in as low as like 12. But if you get them up like 16, 18, and then you do like a, like either a 1 to 3 or a 1 to 4 with uh, bubbly, it should be pretty good. Awesome. Thanks right. so much. All right, give it a shot. Let us know how it works. Uh, thank you very much. All right, bye-bye. Okay. All uh, right. We got R- running out of time. Just oh, a heads up. A go- Just a heads up. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. Really? Yep. All right. So Uriel wrote about about glycemic load. We're going to have to get to that uh, next uh, week. Uh, uh, Jim uh, Guarneri wrote in about cocktails for um, a, a wedding. For that he has, it has to do for his sister. Now the question is, I don't have time to get into it now, Jim. Can it wait another week? Tweet us in. Otherwise, I'll try to put some stuff over on Twitter. Doesn't like carbonated stuff. And also, I need, he, he kind of calls Nastasia out, so I need Nastasia here so I can call out. But let's oh, make, wow. sure, make sure we can go another week. Have, you know, have him write in. Michael wrote this in. Hello, lovely people. I did some inside round in large Ziploc freezer bags at 50C, 56 Celsius, uh, which is not that hot, for 24 hours. The bags broke. Is that time-temperature combo too much for Ziplocs? Also, do you need a puffing gun to make puffed rice cakes the white, light, airy, bland, dry, tasteless uh, style of food item? My Michael, uh, one, um, they should not, that time temperature is not too much for the Ziploc, not at all. Uh, look, if they broke on the side seams, you have a faulty uh, bag. If you, if, make sure you're not using the one with the fake zipper pull thing. Make sure it's just a regular seal on top. The other ones always leak. But if you had a leakers in that or punctures, you got faulty ones. You, the, the Ziploc freezers, which are the only ones that I use, should never fail like that. Shame on you, uh, SC Johnson Wax, a family company. Um, who I think is a manufacturer. Uh, Russ Bryan uh, wrote in, and he has some coffee roasting questions. And how do you get good coffee out of a popcorn popper? I'm not going to have the time to get into that, but go to sweetmarias.com, which is where I get my beans. And they have, uh, they have list after list of how to use a whirly pop, which is what I use. Or I assume you meant a whirly pop and not an air popper. Air poppers are totally different. But luckily, Sweet Maria's has good advice on both. They're going to give you much more detailed advice than uh, I can give you. If you read that and you have more questions, ask me specific questions on that, and I'll get back to you. Franklin wrote in uh, uh, on puffing millet. I want to puff my own millet. Can I use a popcorn machine, assuming also you mean a whirly pop and not a, an air popper because millet is too tiny to pop in a, uh, an air popper. It'll just spray out all over your kitchen, be an embarrassment, like little BBs all over the ground. Uh, can I take it from dry? Uh, can I do it without oil? Is there a machine I can purchase that is not expensive that will uh, do it perfect for me, frankly? Okay. Uh, millet's a bunch of different – there are a bunch of different kinds of millet, right? And I don't know whether millet will puff on its own. What you should do – 
just as a test, is take some of the millet you have. Don't try to do it dry right away. Puff it in oil like you would popcorn. You don't even need it. You can just do it in a pan with a lid on it and oil and see whether it pops. If it pops, then you're good. If it doesn't pop, uh, then you can uh, cook it. Uh, you know, cook it until it, let's soak it, then cook it, then dehydrate it slightly. If you dehydrate it too much, it won't pop. If you don't dehydrate it enough, it'll pop. You just have to get a feel for it. Then you should be able to pop it either in hot air, microwave, or in uh, or in oil like popcorn. Uh, either either way, but like uh, one of those should work. And get back to me and let me know if you need more information. Uh, do I got another uh, thirty seconds or so? Yep. Uh, okay. Owen wrote in. Uh, Huge fan. Without wasting any of your time, I'm curious before I buy, what are the advantages of a larger rotary evaporator, say 4 liters, versus a smaller one, say 2 liters? Also, what is an ideal centrifuge size to get uh, for bartending applications? Is 750 milliliters okay? Um, oh, and I'm going to miss a question on Kaylee Bennett about jello shots. I'll get that next time. Okay, Owen, here's, here's uh, what I'm going to say. Uh, larger flasks means you can put more in before it boils over. I would always get the four-liter flask. Your biggest problem with a Rotovap is going to be the amount of product that you can put through it. That's going to be the biggest limitation when you have it. Now, every time you have to break open the machine to clean out the flask, you're looking at another 10 to 15 minutes of trying to get another product. So if you can get a four-liter flask, you're going to be able to put a lot more into it than a three-liter flask, and it's really going to increase your throughput. And in general, it's just a glass that you're changing out because the unit that can handle the three-liter flask can also handle a four-liter flask, right? Depending. It's not always the case. But especially if it's not that much more, the four-liter flask is going to be a lot better. Also, get the largest neck on the flask that you can get and the vapor duct, the largest that you can get because it is a pain to clean that stuff out. On the centrifuge, 750 milliliters is marginal if you're going to do bartending applications for large groups of people. It's fine if all you're ever going to do is lime juice and if you're only ever going to make like half a bottle of Hustino at a time. But for larger applications, you're going to want to get a three liter bench top fuse with swinging swinging buckets that can do four the four thousand g's or so or if you can wait i'm not saying that i'm working on something but i might be working on something cooking issues thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 